It is uh, February 8th, 2014. I, I don't know what time it is, probably around 4 o'clock. And I'm out here um, as far away as I can get on the trail. And I've been praying the whole time. And, and then I just put in a John MacArthur message about true and false disciples. I've been trying to listen to that over and over. Such great teaching and all of a sudden my mind has drifted to the fact that I'm coming to the part of the trail where there's a car. It's out here in the middle of the woods. It's been here for probably 20, 30 years and it's just out in the middle of nowhere. Like you don't have any idea how it could have possibly gotten out here. There's no roads or anything. And I remember thinking about how I wanted to use that as a metaphor <clears throat> for a message. And I started thinking about to how I'm changing and what my desire is on presenting the gospel. And I, I can think back to, to videos as I'm growing and maturing. I, I, I feel like I'm wanting to rest less on these metaphors and trying to come up with cute little ideas. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, Jesus used metaphors. He used stories to illustrate points. But there is a, uh, there is a, a, a line, I think, that you can cross where you've now moved into trying to bring honor to yourself and you're essentially trying to continue to add to the Word of God and you are going beyond what is written if you're not careful. Um, and it can get really into, you know, you almost wanting to market yourself or have a distinguishing uh, teaching style that makes you stand out and I have felt all of those pressures in the past. You know, why is anybody going to listen to me? Um, the best that's been said has already been said. Why should I do this? But I just wanted to capture this idea that it seems like the more and more mature I'm becoming as a follower of Christ, the less and less I want to make it about me or do any tricky stuff or uh, try to you know, add human oomph and wisdom and articulation and pizzazz to the message. Instead, literally just allow the Word of God, the pure, undiluted, unperverted, untwisted Word of God to do its work. And <clears throat> the other thing, the other thought that's happening to me is that you could almost pick a thousand different subjects to focus on. And I just feel compelled to, to say with great conviction, again, that the, the farther down this road I get, the simpler and the more narrow it gets. Uh, the, the message of Christianity is not, when you get down to the essence of it, it is not a complicated message. It appears complicated because Paul wrote so many different letters with subtopics to so many different churches. But the essence of the gospel hearing the Word, retaining it, and persevering in it is so simple. And yet we can think of so many different subjects. There's an endless number of subjects you could talk about as it relates to the Bible and life. <clears throat> there is no need to go beyond what is written. And I guess part of my calling is to really just simplify you know, get stick to the core messages, you know, obedience, faith, fear of the Lord, trusting God, 
you know, those are, those are the buzzwords in my soul. Those are the foundational keys to the Christian walk. And a lot of the other things I didn't need anybody to teach me, God taught me. There's an armadillo and he doesn't even know I'm here. It's like he can't even hear me. But <clears throat> he's not even paying attention to me. It must be that he's blind and deaf. Okay, today is uh, February 10th, 2014. It's 11.45 in the morning. And uh, yesterday was the day that I spoke at First Baptist Church of Madison to the homemakers class, which is a group of women that are anywhere between 60 and 80 years old. And I was uh, so blessed and honored by the way they received me yesterday since it was done by Wes's mom who's been a subscriber of my videos. She just has been telling the group about some of the things that she's been uh, learning in my videos and it was just, it was a real blessing. The, the pastor was very welcoming to me. I, I was actually quite surprised to see how um, kindly he received me, you know, being somebody to come in and share the Word of God with some of his sheep. You know, you would always want to be cautious about letting somebody else come in. You don't know their motivations or their doctrinal beliefs, and you wouldn't want them to lead anybody astray. So, I don't know, I just, that was quite honoring. Um, and it shows how much he trusts Terry. I, um, I was a little disappointed with my presentation. Actually, I think more than just a little disappointed, but it's because I think at the last minute I grabbed this huge chunk of scripture, 1 Kings 18, I'm sorry, 17, like, you know, 16 through 39, and it's the story of Elijah and uh, him when he calls fire down from heaven, but the whole setup, and it was just a long passage, it was a lot of reading, and um, the women are, are, are quiet, you know, they're older women, and they're in a Baptist church where you don't really give hardly any feedback at all to the speaker, which I was okay with, but it made it hard to read. And as a sales trainer, uh, former sales trainer, I was always, you know, taught to read the audience and kind of gauge where they're at. And so I think I may have slipped back into that a little bit of concerning myself too much with what they think instead of just really knowing that the Word of God is sufficient. And so that bothered me a little bit that, uh, that that I had that experience and I walked away feeling like you know I have such an urgency for people to take the Word of God seriously and I walk away going I don't know if they took it as seriously as I'd want them to however the, the response at the end many women came forward and said oh this is wonderful oh this was I mean a lot and in fact one lady said she figures I'll have invitations to be invited back. And one even said, you, you need to speak in front of the church. we got to talk to Brother Bert. But for some reason, I just do not feel worthy of that. I don't feel like I did a good enough job. And I keep having this thought that maybe the Lord is hiding that from me. I remember Oswald Chambers thought about that. So that you're not conscious of being used and of the Lord, but I don't know, it's just kind of a weird situation. And uh, But anyhow, I think the lesson for me was I, I need more practice on 
doing a presentation because I, I have been such an ad-libber. I get my best results just speaking right off the heart, and I have to find the balance between a well-thought-out, well-planned presentation but still has the life and the, um, I don't want to say impulsiveness, but the, the freedom uh, and the conviction and the enthusiasm of me kind of just speaking off the cuff as I do in these videos, uh, in these audio things right now. I always seem to be able to do my best thinking off the cuff and reasoning things out. And yet I recognize the need to be able to have a more concise presentation. It is my greatest weakness uh, is being confined. I, I love to have the freedom of, but I think I need to be more under control of my thoughts and my words and I need to learn to be more concise. I think definitely. I, I have a tendency to want to over-talk things, overthink things, and I obviously do my thinking out loud. Hence the reason I'm doing this, these recordings. I think and process things externally. So I am. Um, I also had told the father that I know these little old ladies like to give $20 donations. And that's exactly what happened. I, I ended up getting, you know, I didn't go to expect to get anything in return whatsoever. But I did say, wow, you know, God, could it be that, you know, you'll use one of these ladies to move upon, you'll move upon their heart and help support my end. You know, could this be? And I said, Lord, I'm not going to get all excited. I'm not going to put any expectations on this. I trust you. I'm going to go do my work. Leave the results for the finances to you. I got $50. <laughs> One lady wrote a check for $25. And then the lady who invited me handed me a card with $25 in cash in it. And, you know, I was grateful. I said, Lord, I'm thankful because that buys me coffee. I'm thankful. But at the same time, a small donation like that can almost feel like an insult. I mean, I'm not saying that it did at all. I did not perceive it to be, but I can see the temptation to want to say, wow, is that all you think? A servant of the Lord who lives in total faith on God, studies His Word every day and spent hours preparing a message for you guys is worth $50. And that may sound so selfish. And if I felt that as my last thought, absolutely it's selfish. I'm sharing that because it's real. It is a feeling that you process when you go through something like that. You want to say, wow, guys, is, is that all you felt that was worth? It's $50? I mean, if you wouldn't have given me any, I would have been better off. I mean, that's, I don't know what the the philosophy or the psychology or the principle is behind what I just said, but there is that sense that if they wouldn't have given me anything, which I did, the message for nothing, that would have almost made me feel better than if they gave me $50. Somehow or another, by giving $50, it seems to set the value uh, very low on what they place. Whereas if they don't give you anything, you may they may have felt it was wonderful. But because they attach a monetary value to it, it seems to say, you know, <laughs> this is what we think it was worth. And I know that's not what they mean. I know it was just a tip. I should look at it as a tip. I mean, if I served them, if I served them dinner, and here's a change of perspective right now. If I served them dinner for an hour, that was their waiter. 
and there was 18 of them and they gave me a $50 tip, I would not be disappointed at all. I would say $50 tip, that's pretty decent for you know serving 18 people. I mean, I don't know, I, I maybe, maybe that's not, maybe that's not very much money, but I would think I would be thankful if I served people at a medium restaurant and they gave me a $50 tip. So I guess the way I have to look at it is, is that I served up a meal to them for free that the Lord provided and then they tipped me. And actually, now that I think about it like that, that's, I am pretty thankful for that. That's amazing, the, the perspective change. But again, I'm not saying that I've been wrestling with this or saying that, wow, how dare them, you know, only, no, 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 not at all. But what it did do is the enemy tried to use it to create doubt. Here's the main point I want to make about it. He tried to, to say to me, see, you're never going to be able to survive doing this. No, you do not bring enough value to the table that anybody will ever pay you enough for you to pay your child support and to make a living or to earn your living through the gospel. It's not going to happen. Give it up. And I have to tell you that I had those thoughts. I had those thoughts of, man, if I do all this work, I mean, I've got thousands of hours invested into studying and learning about God. Thousands. And for me to turn around and serve others for free, because I receive for free, but the Bible says you should not muzzle the ox while it's treading out its grain. I've been treading for a long time, and, and I'm, uh, I'm pretty much muzzled. i got no money coming in. So that can be a very frustrating circumstance that says, I know you're having faith that God is going to provide, but it ain't going to happen. This is going to be your lot, $50. In fact, that's probably twice of what I might have received. It's twice of what I would have gotten had one of the ladies who kind of knew my video so well didn't write a check at the last minute for $25 and she didn't even go to the church. Anyhow, with the situation I'm in with having no money and, and really just hearing and believing that God is going to bless me and help me, man, it's a huge blow. If you look at the, the circumstances, and again, it's interesting, I taught yesterday on circumstances that are contradicting faith. Things that stand in the way or that, have, that point to the fact that what you believe God for is not going to happen. So... I uh, I said, Lord, I don't want to look at the results. I don't want to look at the circumstances. And I feel like it might have even been a test of my faith. So far today and uh, afterwards, as the Lord keeps telling me, keep the faith. 1101, 555, He will deliver me. And 511, blessed are those who persevere. So the reality is I'm going to continue to trust God, continue to do what He's asking me to do. He did remind me even last night, 701, the importance of knowing God's Word, memorizing God's Word. I've got to learn a bunch of scriptures and get them memorized. He keeps reminding me of that, so I'm going to keep doing it. In the meantime, I'm out on a prayer walk. I'm going to try and just lift up my anxieties to the Lord, and I'm just a little shaky. It was very humbling to preach the Word of God, and I don't feel like I did such a good job, and you know, and I, I wonder if I'm just putting my, my eyes back on performance in, in my Am I judging the work that God actually did by appearances? Is it possible that God is doing some awesome things in, in the hearts of those ladies? Is it possible they're on the phone calling and spreading the word that I shared with people and I just can't see it? I'm not able to see the difference because God is protecting me from spiritual pride? Oh Lord, I pray that's the case because my only desire is to do word, to do Him glory and to see people's hearts turn to Him and to take Him more seriously. So... That's what I shall do. I think that this was a test of my faith in several ways. And um, at the same time, I want to make sure that I don't put my, take my eyes off of the, the honor that it was to me to be asked to go share the Word of God with 
women that have been studying the Bible longer than I've been alive. That is incredible. Incredible. What an honor. So I'm going to try and focus on that and I'm going to will myself now to enter into Thanksgiving and I'm going to will myself in these moments of doubt to trust back in God. Again, God reminding me, 1144 Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 5 through 8. Blessed is the man, starting in verse 7 I believe, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Man, accursed is the man, verse 5, who puts his confidence in man. I'm not going to trust in man. All right, that's enough for me. I just left the Barnes & Noble bookstore, um, and I sat for a while um, reading a book on discipleship, and then I put it up. It was time to go, and just as I was getting ready to turn, it's this is very interesting that the other day I was in a bookstore, I happened to notice this book by this kid, Joshua Harris, who wrote a book a long time ago called um, He Kissed Dating Goodbye. And I saw it and I thought, man, that might be an interesting... For some reason, I just thought about it for a while. Interesting book to read and I wondered how the guy was still doing. Well, I noticed there was a new book by him at that bookstore the other day, but I couldn't see what it said and it showed a picture of him and a girl on the front. And as I was putting the Multiply book, I turned the corner and just my eye just caught. There's that book. And I thought, gosh, I'll never see that book again. But I was really curious about it. And there it was staring me right in the eyes I picked the book up and it was about Joshua Harris um, about courting about not dating but courting which is something I'm very have been interested in and it's a message I uh, totally agree with and the guy apparently has gotten married now well I just opened up the book quickly to read through and it looks like he's a full-time pastor I didn't realize this and and uh he has written this book and I just so happened to turn to this one page that talked about this one couple named David and uh, uh, Carrie or something like that. And anyhow, the longer the short is, this guy wants to date this girl really bad. He approaches her parents. Her parents say she's already dating somebody, uh, but they may be putting the relationship on hold. And the father says to him, you know, don't take her first answer. They, she became, they had been very good friends. She became very upset when he approached her this way. It would really hurt. And they went through all kinds of little challenges. Well, she says no to him and rejects him. Well, for two years, he kind of moves on with his life. He even approaches one other girl and she says no and two strikes for him. And after two years, he's content. And he still has an interest in her, but he's totally content and kind of can take it or leave it kind of thing. And um, she actually ends the relationship with her other guy. And um, basically what happens is he starts to pray and says, God, when is the right time and who and all that? And all of a sudden he notices that his parents come to him and say, hey, it's time for you to start thinking about this and for you to you kind of get out and get going. And then one time he's with some friends and they say the same thing to him. He's like, wow, this is weird. People are telling me it's time to get going. So he ends up being put together with her at a meeting for downtown ministry. And at one point he says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And he 
does this big long, you know, hey, look, you know, you don't have to say yeah, you can say no, and you can totally, you know, whatever, just consider it, pray about it, whatever, but would you consider having a relationship with me? And he's just apologizing profusely over and over, and at the end she says yes. And so the woman who had rejected him two years earlier has now said yes to him. What she has desired in a man has changed. She actually had begun to see him as attractive um, and a man that she could follow because she saw his character and his heart to serve and so forth and so on. And and um, she saw something in that she hadn't seen before. And so she says, yes, they end up getting married. Well, on a particular page about their story, the guy who's writing the book, Joshua Harris, talks about the importance of waiting and being content. And I'm reading all this going, wow, this is totally me. You know, Laura rejected me. And I have found such amazing contentment. And I'm so thankful that here it is almost, you know, it's it's at least a year and a half later. Let's see, you know, a year and a half later. Well, see, I met her on August 31st. So uh, we're talking about August 31st of this past year was one year. And so then that's uh, September, October, November, December, January. So by February 28th, that is 18 months. That's a year and a half. So at the end of February, at the end of this month, it's been a year and a half since I, I met Laura. And um, so I find the same thing happening where I've had this contentment and I'm okay and everything's great and I'm, I don't need to push it. The other day, uh, yesterday, with these uh, ladies that I spoke to, one of the ladies at lunch said, Michael, do you have anybody in your life? And I said, well, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting and for God to tell me when the right time is and I believe he's going to do something cool and connect us and all that. And uh, so in this book, it says, critical guys, don't make the mistake of mistaking wisdom for or a lack of courage for wisdom. In other words, there is a time it's time to to move on something and don't sit around with a lack of courage waiting thinking that you're waiting as being wisdom. And I was like, "Whoa." At the bottom of that page, it describes a wife of noble character, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness. This is why I have actually seen now that I mention this, I have seen 955 uh no less than 3 times today. In fact, just Two hours ago, I saw it leaving the Starbucks on a truck, and I even thought about getting my camera out and taking a picture of it and wondering again, is that God showing me the whole thing of a wife of noble character? And now here in this particular page I'm reading, he's talking about that exact proverb, Proverbs 12, the wife of noble character. He's talking about the importance of you know, finding somebody that will um, meet those uh, godly characters and, and and waiting for a person of godly character and I'm thinking to myself goodness gracious God's been showing this to me so much so I walked out of this bookstore going all right Lord what are you telling me it's two days till two twelve I mean Lord should I contact her for coffee on that day and so now I'm at a place where I'm like okay Lord please speak to me if you want me to move on this and and contact her I will absolutely do it I have the courage to do it. And I have this contentment. I mean, I'm just at a place of such contentment that I could see where it may be that it's it's close to God's time for me to move on something like this because I can so live with it, live with her or live without her. I'm very content, although I still have very much a desire for her. It's not an idol in my heart anymore, very much like I think it probably was 18 months ago.
God has changed that, and it's been wonderful. It's so wonderful, and I'm so thankful for it. So I'm now wondering, you know, I just, I've been having some dreams about her, and there's been the 955, 1001s kind of going crazy, and the 212, and so now I'm just asking the Lord, okay, Father, speak clearly to me. Am I supposed to wait for you to do something providentially, or do you want me to take the proverbial bull by the horns and reach back out to her on coffee, you know, and maybe am I supposed to do that on 212 and that'll be a real sweet thing to do? Or, you know, I just want to wait and have the Lord speak to me very clearly and uh, let me know what is it he's trying to tell me. But this has all been very, very interesting. So we'll see kind of how this uh, works out according to God's plan here. Michael Commentary. I just want to point out how odd it is this gentleman's book that I had read in that bookstore, Joshua Harris. Last year, in July of 2019, stepped down from being a mega pastor and completely renounced faith in Jesus Christ and also the book that he had written called I Kissed, Dating Goodbye, which made him so famous. End of commentary. I just want to capture one more thought. I'm up at the very top of Stonemark. Incidentally, while I'm praying, you know, God, please help me. I look up at the first house at the top and it's... You know, 1101 is the address, and that's Hebrews 1101. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's several houses up here that have 1101 in their address, and it's many times I've chosen to walk up this way, not consciously thinking about it, but being so encouraged to see those. And um, the one thing I wanted to just capture is the, the reason why it's so hard for me to to, to have my faith right now is... Uh, in particular to have my faith in what the Lord is telling me is to remember the things that he's done. I can see several times where even David understood this principle where he, things are falling apart, but he says, nevertheless, I will remember the deeds of old, the wonderful things the Lord has done. And I feel like that's what God is even commanding me to do with uh, Psalm 105.5, number he keeps showing me. I also see that because of what's just recently happened, where I just received that paperwork from the court from three weeks ago or what have you, four weeks ago, I'm not real sure, that says that that's all been reversed. The last hearing before the magistrate, they were apparently willing to make a few changes to a couple of things, and I believe what happened is the magistrate was going to make legitimate changes, and I think that when he asked the attorney to put those legitimate changes back in. She put in the legitimate ones, but she's added back in all of the old stuff that God miraculously pulled out, which leaves me thinking, okay, what if Lord doesn't do what he did? You know, it leaves you in a very precarious situation where I literally have had um, all the evidence that I had placed my hope in potentially, potentially, potentially removed. I might imagine it's kind of how the the Egyptians felt when I'm sorry the uh, the Hebrews felt the Jews when they had seen the miraculous happen multiple times to get them out of Egypt. But then they get to the the Red Sea and the enemies are back on them, and now they don't have enough faith to believe for anything going forward because it looks like what what was just given to them is now being taken away. So there again, it comes down to a big testing of my faith. This could be such a gigantic, such a gigantic test of my faith. I can't even hardly talk without crying. 
because um, the situation is that that I feel like God is telling me to remember what He's done in the past, but yet it it's uncertain as to whether or not that's even going to stick. And yet everything in me, somehow or another, still believes. Even though I have some fear and some doubts creeping up in my flesh and my spirit. Hence the reason why there'll be another recording tomorrow where I went through this with God's help and I just kept on putting one foot in front of the other. I know the drill now. I know how this is going to work out. I don't know the final result, but I know what tomorrow's going to hold for me. I'm not going to quit. I feel like it and I say it and I get it out and then I just keep on going. You know... I really believe that God will sustain that. And I may see evidence to the contrary even more so. It may be that the Egyptians get right back up hot on my tail, but I'm going to just have to trust the Father. My evidence is that this could possibly happen is when I look at the Bible. When I look at the, the way that God interacts in the Bible, and that's where the weight of my faith is coming from. It's not coming so much from what God is telling me minute by minute, moment by moment, as it is coming from, okay, I know what God's told me in the past. I know what He's told me most recently. And when I look at how He worked in the lives of those of His faithful in the Bible, this is exactly the way He did it. There's always these huge trials of faith. And even though I might have liked to have thought that my trial of faith was over, it's clearly not. Clearly that God is taking me to a whole nother level. There's part of me that actually wonders, my goodness, what are the implications for the other side of this kind of a faith? If, if, if God is requiring this level of faith out of me, and this really we really are doing this spectacular thing that we're doing here, and this is not Michael being delusional and having misheard God and just this most unbelievable set of circumstances anybody's ever seen in their life have conspired against me to fool me, to deceive me. That's what, that would, that's what it would have to have happen. It would have to be one of the most unbelievable, supernatural conspiracy distractions, diversions that I think anybody in my life has ever seen. For it to have been, I mean, it would be the ultimate pull-off. I'm not saying that Satan couldn't do something like that, but... Obviously, when you look at the fruit of what this is producing, Satan would be working awfully heavy-handed against himself. He may be having fun, deceiving me and hurting me and causing me suffering and all of that, but boy, in the process, it's, it's just been beating every little last bit of me out to where I'm a person who's totally willing to be on push-button service to the Father. What do you want me to do, Lord? I'll go do it. Where do you want me to be? When do you want me to be there? I'm totally willing to wait upon Him and trust Him and... I just love him so much. I know, I, 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 it is my prayer and hope that we're getting closer and closer. I just wanted to capture as best I could the idea that that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for me to believe right now because my faith in what God has already done in such a great way is potentially on the line. Nevertheless, I'm going to continue to put my eyes on what is unseen and trust in the Lord, trust in his word. Michael Commentary Brothers and sisters, what God is doing that I'm not aware of at this time is building into my heart the faith of Job. The highest faith I see in the Bible, which to me is the most amazing faith of all, especially since it is found in the Old Covenant where a man is not able to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps he can have the Spirit of God upon him, which clearly Job had. 
But the highest level of faith I see comes from three passages of Scripture in the book of Job. And the first one being Job one twenty one, where after he's been stripped, Satan has been able to touch and take away his servants and take away his children, daughters and sons all collapsed underneath of the roof and they're dead. Take away his, you know, camels through raiding parties and carried them off. Here, Job says these amazing words. I mean, brothers and sisters, we read this and we go, yeah, all right, that's neat. That's what Job said. I want you to think about being Job. Think about if you didn't have the Bible, you didn't have a bunch of YouTube videos to encourage you, you didn't have 2,000 sermons you could hear in a year um, to get yourself all pumped up and to think like this and believe like this and faith like this. But these words come out of your mouth. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Do you have any idea how spectacular those words are? That is incredible pioneer faith. You know, and then think about in Job chapter 2, 9 through 10, he's gone through even more affliction. Finally, his own wife turns against him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? In other words, the idea that God is good and that you're good. She says, curse God and die. I, I believe it's kind of like basically, you know, kill yourself or curse God so that he'll kill you. In verse 10, he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. And listen to these words. This is profound faith, brothers and sisters. You don't find this in the churches in America. You find a faith 2,000 years later. Like, shouldn't we be better at this than Job? And, you know, you have to rewind even a few more thousand years to get to Job. We know it's the oldest book in the Bible. And so let's just say that the it's a thousand years BC. Okay, watch this. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? This is profound. To me, this is absolutely amazing that Job could say this. Okay, Job 13, 15. Even though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. See, the greatest gift and possession I believe that you can have on this earth is an exceptionally strong faith in God. So, for example, when God asked King Solomon in the Old Covenant, you know, you may ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he asks for, you know, wisdom and understanding to be able to lead the people. This was a very noble thing for him to ask as a king of Israel. God was so pleased with his answer that he blessed him far beyond what he got. He not only got what he asked for, but then he got all the riches and the fame to come with it. In the new covenant, I think the greatest thing that we could ask God for is faith. Someone might say faith, hope, and love. These three remain. The greatest of these is love. Yes, I'm implying that love is already at the foundation of our desire to be a Christ follower. Love being the fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm to its neighbor. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. Which again, the desire not to be affectionate and fuzzy and romantic. It's the desire to see somebody else be better off. The willingness to even sacrifice your time or your resources or your you know, conveniences or your money 
money in order that somebody else that God brings across your path might be better off, whether they're kind or not. And it's even more blessed if they're not kind, right? You know, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even the pagans do these things, but love your enemies, pray for them, do good to those who persecute you and insult you. So I'm already assuming that love is there. But now we know, watch this. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't even say without love. Love is implied, right? You know, if you don't love your brother, you're not in the faith. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we know murderers have no eternal life. So then there becomes this muscle, this sense. I heard one late great minister describe faith as a sixth sense that Christians possess. And it's that gift, that sense to ascertain the spiritual, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the ways of God, the voice of God, the moves of God, the sovereignty of God, the design of God. Faith is that sense by which we apprehend the things of God. And so without faith, it is impossible to please God. So back to my point, if he came to you and said, my dear beloved, ask me for anything you wish, and I will give it to you personally, me, I would say you should ask for a strong faith in him. See, if you have a strong faith in God, you can receive anything and everything you need from him in order to live and become like God. And when I say become like God, I'm not talking about some false, you know, cult teaching. We can all become gods like Mormonism. No, I'm talking Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. As children of God, we are to become like him, right? We're to become like Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we become gods. I'm not saying we can even be compared as equal to him. I'm saying in character, in thought, in behavior, in action, we are to become like him, right? And so I would ask God, give me this faith. And I have, I've asked him for this exceptionally strong faith with which to bring him glory. Why is God pleased to answer this? He says it right there. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I see Father is working in me in these circumstances to give me a richer measure of faith by which to please him, by which he will be pleased to pour out upon me more grace for his design for my life to be more effective towards others in the kingdom of God and to bring himself even more honor, faith that he can work through. So the greatest thing that we could ever receive from God is faith. Think about this. It takes faith even to love the unlovable, doesn't it? It takes faith to believe God for the grace to love the unlovable. So I can't love my unlovable neighbors or friends or the hostels in the world that come against me without the faith to receive the grace from God to do it, without the faith that God will enable me and equip me to do that which he's asked me. So faith to me is the greatest treasure we can receive from God. It is the greatest spiritual blessing, not even wisdom, not even great exceptional discernment. Think about it. What can God not accomplish in your life with faith? Faith is the key that unlocks God's purpose and design and glory in your life and in my life. And so I see in these recordings how God is being pleased to have given, and now he's taking away. Now listen, if God gave Job all of those blessings, which clearly Job accredits God to these things, because he says the Lord gave, And now Job is having to reconcile the fact that the Lord gave good God, and now the Lord has taken away, is he still a good God? And he's saying, yes, 
He's saying the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That the only way Job can say this is because he has exceptional faith of seeing the invisible God. I am telling you, my brothers and sisters, I know that God is so much more pleased with those three scriptures and those three statements and the individual who spoke them, Job, than almost any other kind of faith that you can see that says, I've received this good thing from God, therefore God is good. No, the higher faith, as I've said many times in this recording, is when God can give and take away and you still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, because now what happens is, Your faith is being moved and directed more and more back to the faith giver, the gift giver, the life giver, the faith giver, rather than the give e, the gift, the thing. You see, God is so wise in how he deals with us. So like he can give you something and he gives you evidence he gave it to you and then he can take it away from you and say, aha, remember, this is about me. It's not about that thing. And this is the way I see one of the most amazing things God did with my wife, Persis. He gave me this amazing wife who loved Jesus, walked with Jesus, loved Jesus with great passion, just like I did. And then he takes her away. He goes through these amazing troubles to give me this wife and then he he hardens her and removes her faith. And oh, I can't wait, God willing, one day to share with you some of the, the deeper insights Father has shown me and the things that he was going to do in my heart to correct me and discipline me and train me and increase the character in me through this. But one of those big things is to give me a faith that looks through the gift, whether it's here or not whether it's uh it's lively or it's ugly whether it's bright and shiny or whether it's become dark whether it's uh, polished and shiny or whether it's become tarnished i'm able to look through that thing remembering indeed god gave this to me and i'm able to still see the goodness of god and i'm able to say i don't understand why god gave and then took away but I know that my father has love and a kind heart towards me in this and the desire to bring him glory and the desire to bring him happiness through me, right? He designed me and you. He created us for his glory and pleasure. It says this in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Revelation. People ask, where do you see this in scripture? It's in Revelation and in Isaiah that God created us for his good pleasure and his glory. And so is God not incredibly glorified? I'm going to give you an example. Thank you, God, for this example. When my son, I picked him up after six and a half years of parental alienation on his 18th birthday on September 25th, 2019, after not seeing him for those six plus years, one of the things he was able to bring with him is a video game system that I had bought for him years earlier and sent it to him. And he brought that with him, this Xbox One type system. And I being now all about Jesus Christ. I was a little concerned about, you know, video games and all that. I found out pretty quickly that Tyler is very sober in his use of video games. He pretty much uses it for, uh, to stay connected to his friends because they speak over the microphone and talk and and what have you while they're playing their game. And, uh, but at at one point in time, I decided that uh, his video games need to only be used on Friday night and Saturday night. That's it. None during the week that we're going to give the rest of our time to God. If you want to have a Friday night and a Saturday night to play video games, go for it. And I felt that was good for him. Well, there came a time when I saw his 
Bible study time and his focus on the Word of God being neglected, primarily because he's very difficult. He struggles with comprehension. So he's got a little bit of a physical, you know, excuse, if you will, for this. But I decided to take those video games that I bought from him and the console away. I took it out of our house, out of our tiny house, and I took it over to my parents' house. And I said, when you go to my parents' house, you can play with that game if you want. But here, I don't want you to play in this house anymore, okay? We're going to be about God. And until you can say that you really know the word of God, and I see that you're making really good progress in this, and you understand the importance of not making God jealous, I'm going to take this away. My son's attitude towards that was truly remarkable. Not one peep of a complaint, not one ability to discern any kind of a disappointment or hatred towards me or uh, uh, judging my you know thoughts as evil towards this decision. Nothing. He totally accepted it, uh, went with me to take the video game, never said anything about it. Okay. I think it was about 21 days later. It was around 20 to 21 days later. He had not said the first complaint. He had not showed the first bad attitude about it. He never once asked me to have it back. He did not mope. He did not show a difference in attitude, nothing. And one day I decided I was going to give it back to him. He had demonstrated it was not an idol in his heart. He demonstrated he could live without it. He demonstrated a compliance to me to let me take back the very thing that I gave him. And I had such a joy in my heart that after he he gave it up, I used it as a teaching lesson. And I said, son, sometimes the Lord will give us a, a pleasing thing, something that's even for perhaps our, our benefit and bless, something that's even perhaps for our comfort or pleasure down here. He'll give us something like this. And then he may decide to take it away to test us. And I want you to know after he's tested us, he may give that very thing back to us after he repositions it in our heart or sees that it's not already sitting in the throne of our heart. And I said, I see this with you. And I said, son, I'm giving this back to you because of your attitude. And I want you to know how proud of you I am. And I have no fear. I'm not jealous as a father over the video game for your relationship with God. I, I see that it's it, you're in control of it. It's not in control of you. And you're not in bondage to it. And your attitude towards it was exceptional. And here's your gift back. And you know what my son said? He said, dad, are you, are you sure? Are you like really sure about this? And I said, yes, Tyler, I'm absolutely sure. Sometimes God takes away and then sometimes God gives back. And the fact that my son didn't change his attitude towards me when I removed this, this the only real pleasurable thing he has in his life is this video game that he plays, you know, Friday and Saturday nights with some friends. And he doesn't play things that I would say, you're never playing that. He mostly does like a couple of race car games and he'll play, you know, some Star Wars games. They're all pretty, you know, innocent on on the level of most video games out there today. And they're not, they don't have a lot of filth in them and stuff like that. Nothing I would be embarrassed to have Jesus see him playing in our home or I would have taken it out. I've been just trying to teach him how to choose wisely with his time, recognizing he has to train himself and these end times. And the more time he spends on video games, the less time he's training his mind and also how the video games can put your mind to sleep. But I've been letting him choose. You know, God allowed me to choose. God didn't strip me of motocross. I, I willingly gave it up when I found the greater, the lesser became very obvious and I gave it up. So I've been trying to teach all kinds of lessons to him, but I want to make this point here in this final part of this commentary that 
I was so pleased with my son's decision and his attitude. And I want my father in heaven to feel the same way that if he gives me something good and then he takes it away. And sometimes it may be not so obvious that the Lord is the one who took it away. I sometimes saw things being taken from me. For example, that courtroom verdict, not realizing God was totally the one in control with that, not Satan. I had to trust in the sovereign God. And I had to recognize the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. And so this brings me back to the main point is that how pleased I was when I saw my son's attitude towards the thing and towards me when I took back the gift I initially gave him. And I want my father in heaven, and I know you want our father in heaven to feel that way towards you. And the way we get there is by faith trusting God and see God was going to give me this great victory and then take it away and ask this million dollar question. Do you still love me? Do you still trust that I am in control? Do you still trust that I'm good and all of my thoughts towards you are for blessing you to help me know you, for me blessing to help you know me more and to bring me more glory with your life? Do you still believe that I am good even if I take away that which is good? That is Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 faith. That's this Job 121. That's this Job 2, 9 through 10 and Job 13 through 15 faith that I find is the Mount Everest of faith in the Bible. May God help you and I both continue to climb to that. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you I'm there. I don't claim to have laid hold of my inheritance yet and claim that I'm already perfected in Christ. No way. But I'm I'm there where I have this faith that has overcome the flesh, overcome Satan, and overcome the world. This faith that can look God and say, Lord, you can give me a wife and take her away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Children, take her away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Ministry take it away 2018 blessed be the name of the lord this tiny house take it away i put it up for sale thinking we were moving to new zealand blessed be the name of the lord uh, giving me persis in 2016 and her coming to me six months later saying i have to go back to india i can't live here and i can live without her blessed be the name of the lord the lord can give and the lord can take away and i still stand and say blessed be the name of the lord the only way i'm able to do this is by strong faith in God. Ask the Lord to give you, if you do not have this kind of faith, to be totally free of all the possessions in your life. And look, I still have these things. Like I'm standing in my bedroom right now in my tiny house. I sleep in here. I, I'm Persis is sitting in the couch there with me while I'm working. And everything I have is, it's in my hand, but I don't have my fingers over it. And God can take it away from me. He can take me away. Supposing God wants to drop me dead and bring me home from what with a heart attack. Praise the Lord. The Lord is given and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so you can get to this place where that's the kind of faith that most pleases our father in heaven. Not the kind of faith that says, if you give me this, then you're good. If I see this circumstance change or stay in my favor, then you're good. If I see the court victory land and stay landed, then you're good. If I see my kids come off drugs, come back home, you know, start to love me again, to forgive. If I see this relationship repaired, if I see my finances restored, if I see a good church I can fellowship in, then you're good. No, no, no. Trust me, before you were born and had the first circumstance in your life, God is good. Long after you're dead and there are no more circumstances in your life, God is still good. Amen? God is good. 
And faith is what allows us to apprehend God's goodness and to trust in him. And see, here's again what I want to tell you. God has never failed me. God has never failed me. And he's teaching me through all these scenarios he's putting me through. Michael, I want you to trust me even if I give you and take away, not just when I give you. See, I'm still in that like, okay, God, I want to believe you're good because you're going to give me. That's one level of faith. But God is taking me to that higher level of faith where God can give or deny or give and take away. And I can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. End of commentary. Well, the coolest thing just happened. It is 9.55 of all things on February 12th, 2-12-14. And I literally just went from one room to another and thought, I need to make a recording today that it's 2-12, February 12th. And um, what I had been hoping would happen on this day and then what I believe the Lord has showed me over the last couple of days and it was all about, obviously, about Laura, and today being 2-12, that's obviously a very significant day to me, and the fact that I would pick the phone up to make a recording, and then it would exactly be 9:55, which points me back to the scripture in Proverbs 12, that a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. It's like This is the way, the Lord, very similar ways that Lord confirms numbers with me like this, where if for some reason there's a particular number that I'm a little bit uncertain of, He will attach it to other numbers. So I'll see them back to back and I'll recognize, ah, for one of the best examples I can think of is 646 and 999. I had been seeing both of them independent of one another and didn't fully know what they meant, I began to think that 646 might have been after this, Jesus left them and went up on the mountainside to pray, and that that might have been the Lord telling me to go to the mountain and pray. And I had already obviously been doing this, but it almost looked like that this was now a call sign from the Lord to say, come and pray. Example, I saw it this morning, and so I know I'm supposed to go for a walk today and pray. Well, I was uncertain for a long time about that, and I thought that that's what it meant. And then one day, I saw a 999 right behind it. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what's that? Well, I had been looking it up and found that it pointed to go to the whole, basically worship God at His holy mountain, for the Lord is holy. And I was there I was. I was like, okay, this is very clear. The Lord is connecting these two numbers. I mean, this is just... Even after this long of a time of seeing this, I still am so just astonished when I think about how the Lord has done this. And it seems so bizarre and it seems so, oh, surely this is just coincidence and that God isn't really, you know, using numbers to speak to a person like this that point to scriptures. And it's just astonishing when I think about this, there's now well over 85 numbers that God has shown me that point to scriptures that have guided me to this place over the last, you know, almost four years now, at least three and a half, four years. To see how God, when I'm not sure, took the 955 and connected it directly to a 1001, both of which talked about a wedding day, a wife, and a crown. Both of them made it so clear that they were 
pointing me to the idea that Laura is and my wife will be a crown uh, on my head. And so that's how I was able to clarify. And again, the same thing with 646 and 999. And now here it is. This is the, I think, third time that the Lord has connected directly 955 to 212. It couldn't have been more than a couple of days ago. I was driving around and saw it was 212. And then the next number I saw after that was 955. And here again this morning, today is 212. I attempted to pick the phone up simply to make a message about this. And it was 9.55. <laughs> I just thank God. After yesterday, having a day where I wanted to quit, and literally just, I cried my eyes out to the Lord a little bit and just said, Father, please, God, the, the, the wait is so long. Please sustain me. Please help me. Um, not so much even the Lord thing, but more primarily the waiting for the finances and for a release to either go back to work or a release from finances to provide me the work that I'm already doing. Something that I can at least pay my obligations and know that the Lord is with me and that this season of waiting has been wrought of Him and it's over. So, um, for a long time, I've been waiting for this day to come, months. I saw this date way out and I quickly obviously began to fantasize about, oh my goodness, okay, so Laura's number is 212. Wouldn't that be awesome if God did some crazy thing? You know, I mean, I remember thinking a year ago how awesome it would be if if God would quickly connect us together, and wouldn't that be amazing if we could get married on 212 and have it be, uh, you know, the, the wedding day, um, that anniversary number we always remember, that it's like we always have an altar in our marriage date to God's amazing providence. And then I obviously realized that that probably was not realistic timing wise. And so I just began to think, well, you know, God, maybe you would introduce me to her that day. And that's the day that we meet or something cool happens on 212. And I've, I've literally asked the father and it could be very well that something neat does happen today. And it could be that something happens that I'm not even aware of. Perhaps the Lord may do something very, strategic uh, or providential in her life today that will ultimately lead to her and I being connected. I'm not sure, but I've prayed that the Lord would use this date, since God is uh, a God of numbers, that He would use this date to touch and show His hand in this relationship that I'm wanting with Laura and uh, believing that God is telling me I will have with her. But I also, over the last couple of days, just a quick recap, I had had this book that had jumped across my hands several times, uh, jumped across my eyes about um, courting. Uh, it's, I think it's called Boy Meets Girl by Joshua Harris, the, the boy who, quote, kissed dating goodbye. And I had noticed that this book just came across my eyes and it was like a pay attention you know, moment at a certain bookstore, but I ha didn't have time and I left. The next time I went to a, a bookstore, I was going to put a book I was reading back, and as I left, I saw it at the end of the aisle, and it caught my attention. I picked it up, I began to read of this one story that had a lot of similar circumstances to what I'm going through with Laura, having you know approached her at one point, then been rejected, but yet never losing my love and my desire for her to be in a relationship with her. In fact, mine, I would say, my waiting has been intense. Um, and 
pretty much exclusive for for Laura. I've certainly had moments of doubt, and but I it's been exclusive that I've been committed to waiting for her and loving her and her children from a distance through prayer and thought and just waiting upon them. So I read this one page in this book, and it talks about um, you know the the wisdom of of waiting for God's best and making sure that you have someone that lines up with what what God's best would be for you. But when you turn the page, he he says, but I'd like to put a warning in here, men, that, you know, do not mistake a lack of courage for wisdom. Meaning, when it's time to move, move. Don't continue to sit and wait under the guise of, this is wise. Instead, really, it may be a lack of courage. I pondered that in my thought and in my heart. And then when I got to the bottom of the page, sure enough, the guy quotes the scripture that God keeps pointing me to, incidentally, that's to this 955, Proverbs chapter 12, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. And I see this scripture at the bottom of this page and I go, wow. And I kind of wondered, okay, Lord, is that you may be telling me that it's going to be time for me to to contact her now that the time has come for me to move. I mean, after all, you've been showing me so many 212s and 955s and 1001s, and here I am now even making a recording about this. Michael Commentary. Okay, a couple of interesting points here. This is happening on February 12th, 2014. That's the date that I'm making this recording. I want to show you the incredible design and sovereign hand of our God who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him and who does everything with such precision that it can possibly blow the minds of human understanding. So, first point, do you remember in a recording from December 4th or December 5th, I believe it was, of 2013, where I said, out of the blue, these words come out of my mouth. I mean, my faith has grown so much that I feel like I could be walking through a slum in India right now. And it would be hard and it would be difficult, but I've been given so much grace that I don't fear it. I'm in a new place in my relationship with God. You remember those words came out of my mouth on December 5th of 2013. You can go back and listen to that recording. And then I was able to recall, wow, praise God, two years to the exact day. Two years to the exact day would be December 4th, not December 5th. December 4th of 2015, two years later to the day, I'm going to receive an email from Persis in Hyderabad, India. How absolutely amazing is our God. So precise. Two years to the day. Here's another. Two years to the day. Right now, this recording being made, 955, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. Uh, 1001, leading me to Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 11, speaking of uh, Solomon's wedding day, the day his mother puts the crown on his head, the day that he rejoices because of his bride. Two years to the day from this day this recording is being made, which I have no idea about, on February 12th, 
2016. To the day, God is going to have me move forward by faith to go to India to marry Persis. Now, this is not a date that I picked. I didn't say, oh, it would be so great if I could just move forward on February 12th, 2016, God, after God, you've shown me 212 hundreds of times while I've been waiting for my wife. No, I didn't do that. Only a fool would have done something like that. If I had not actually heard from God, I would have been a complete failure. There were 36 obstacles standing between Persis and I and being able to get married And one of the biggest ones was I didn't yet have the money or the resources to get plane tickets. And yet God told me to move forward by faith. So on 212 of 2016, I began to move forward and I went and sat at the Starbucks and got myself a drink. And I sat down and I said, Lord, I don't have any money to move forward. But what I can begin to move forward on is research. And as it turns out, my mom gave me a call that day and we went and met. And my mother, here's so amazing about this. Without me even having to ask, because I didn't have any money, my mother bought and paid for Persis's wedding band on 212 I have the receipt that same day my mom called me up and she said hey let's go visit my jeweler since I told her mom I'm moving forward on this God's told me to move forward we went and bought the ring for purses that day that day I'll tell you another interesting thing Persis is going to lose that wedding ring and I find that being a little bit of a foreshadow of her losing her faith in Christ That wedding ring is going to be found. Her faith is coming back. God's given me a promise. I don't mean that the wedding ring will literally be found, but I find that an interesting foreshadowing that she lost it in India. Before I could even get back on the second trip, that ring was gone. I had to go back with another ring, but by this time, and Persis was never into jewelry. She's never been into jewelry. She just wanted some small little things. She's like, you know, it reminds me of the scene in Monte Cristo when she tells Dantes, just, hey, here's the only ring we need, and she ties a string around her finger. And that's basically what, what Persis would have been willing to have. It was so sweet. But nonetheless, This is what happened. You can see these events begin to happen where by God's design, they're happening to the day. God is leaving his signature, his design, his evidence that this is all of God's doing in this. And this is so amazing to me. Okay. The other thing I want to point out is that God knows this man, Joshua Harris, is going to fall away from the faith. He's apostate. And that book... That idea of do not mistake a lack of courage for wisdom gave me a temptation to move forward with Laura. And you can see God's been telling me, 919, stay put, a wife of noble characters, her husband's crown, your heart is going to rejoice in your wedding day, but you have to wait for God to act in your behalf. Listen, let me make this point clear. I'm conjecturing a lot of things right now. I'm conjecturing about Laura. I'm conjecturing about the timing. And I'm wrong about all these things. This is where, again, I've said to you, I've been wrong many times because I have a very active imagination. And at this point in time in 2014, it wasn't dead yet. I liked to still try to trace out God before he's moved. I liked to try to figure out what X is in the equation. I had a very, very strong built-in natural desire to do this my whole life, to make meaning, to create narrative fallacy. I've taught about this before. 
and to fill in the blank with my own meaning. And God is going to work this out of me. And it's very humbling for me to look back and see how I was wrong about a few details like this. But there again, the most important point, I ended up being right because I wait for God to act in my behalf. You see, you could be thinking all kinds of possible things about circumstances, relationships, and situations in your life right now. You could be hoping for, conjecturing, surmising, fantasizing, and narrative fallacying your way to all kinds of neat, well, God could do this, and what if he does this, and if he does it then, right? You could be wrong in all of those things. And the truth of the matter is, is it's worrying about the future. God's going to give me insight down the road about this. Michael, you're worrying about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble of its own. Even when you're thinking of good things in the future, you're missing the present and walking with God, receiving your daily bread today, being in his presence. You're off in the future, conjecturing about something that may and very well will not happen unless God has specifically told you. So I'm still really bad at this stage about conjecturing. And God is starting to slowly tamper this down. There was another recording that I had another bad dream about Laura. I didn't include it because it's just these recordings are getting too long. But there was another bad dream. So God is starting to slowly pull her away. But I'm still staying strong in my faith because I have no reason to believe anything different. And God is pleased to allow that to happen because he needs me to stay the course and not get hooked up with one of Satan's best or, you know, uh, my best. He wants me to stay put so that I can wait for Persis, okay? But that book put the temptation in me. Wow, this is the providence of God. Is he maybe telling me to move forward? No, he was not. That was what I wanted to hear. Brothers and sisters, it's so important to be submissive and meek before God, desiring his will more than yours. This is what meekness is. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, I'm going to inherit the earth in many ways through meekness. You can inherit the earth through many ways right now through meekness, which is a real preference for God's will over yours. So I have these strong desires to move forward, to make it happen, to see this promise come to true. And I'm, I'm seeing this book and I'm thinking, man, is this the providence of God telling me I need to move forward, you know, and not continue, not continue to sit and wait and mistake the lack of courage for wisdom? No. Watch. A.B. Simpson said, these three things must be in agreement before you move forward. The inner witness. And that inner witness is not there. I'm questioning, is this of God? No, it's not. The inner witness of the Spirit, the inner pull towards a certain direction, the Word of God, okay? Is it something, like, for example, if you say, man, Mike, I feel like I'm supposed to go, you know, evangelize uh, down at the uh, gentleman's club, if you will, quote, unquote, gentleman's club, and yet you've had pornography addictions your whole life and you're a male, I'm going to tell you, you are not hearing from God, most likely, 99.9%, I'm positive, you're not hearing from God. You're hearing from your own flesh, okay? God is most often going to ask us to do things we don't want to do. Moses, go to Pharaoh. Tell him all these plagues. Tell him I demand my people. What? I, I, wait, 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 What? Right? Elijah, go tell the king this. Whoa, whoa, you want me to go appear before Ahab and tell him this, that, and the other? Yes. You see, 
Nathan, I want you to go tell David his son is going to die because he's sinned against. Whoa. You see, God asks his people to tell us things that we don't want to hear. And he asks us to do things we do not want to hear. And this is the true Christian life that involves suffering, much of that which comes from waiting on God. So, number one, A.B. Simpson taught, make sure the inner witness is there. Number two, in alignment with the Word of God, either the Word of God that God is speaking to you or the Word of God written. It can't be something that's contradicting the Word of God. Number three, the circumstances. And he says, don't move forward until these three things are in order. The inner witness of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the circumstances. See, I'm missing that in this situation. I could have moved forward. But see, the Word of God has been telling me, stay put and wait. All of a sudden, this book, the circumstance shows up. The circumstance shows up as an open door. Maybe I need to move forward. But see, the Word of God is contradicting the circumstance. Brothers and sisters, you have to be so careful about this. These are the things that I've learned over years of walking with God through hundreds of these situations where a door seemingly opened up before me and the circumstance looked favorable, but the inner witness was telling me, nope, God has been telling me I need to stay put. I'll know and get a green light in my soul. The word of God is telling me, and while the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed God and did not set out. You have to be so careful in these things, brothers and sisters. See, if I would have gotten ahead of God, it's not that I couldn't have repented, but I would have missed God's best. I would not likely be able to make these kinds of recordings with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach you, brothers and sisters, the wisdom and ways of God through real life experience. I would have missed God's best. And when I pray before these recordings and I ask the Father to anoint me and to give me bread and wisdom for the encouragement of His beloved, the answer would be dead silence because I didn't obey Him. And I would have grabbed my best and missed God's best. And remember, God's best is not often what we think is best. God's best for Jesus was a cross. That's not what looks like the best to the eyes of human understanding. Okay? God indeed is going to put a crown on my head. And I've mentioned it in another recording before. But God is going to be pleased to allow that crown that was so beautiful on my wedding day to become a crown of thorns. Very painful. Just like Jesus, I'm going to have to suffer a crown of thorns, if you will. I'm not saying to belittle the crown that our Lord uh, wore. I'm not saying it can be compared. I'm saying it's a type. We'll participate in his glory if we participate in his sufferings. Romans eight seventeen, Philippians one twenty nine. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but to suffer for him, and that he is our example in suffering. Right? God's design is perfect. Two years from this date, God's going to call me to move forward by faith into the promised land, uh, experience part of the promised land territory as he has this adorable wife purses for me, okay? And then also now I'm having to fight in the face of strong desire, providential, quote, circumstances that are popping up, giving me green light, but yet the word of God and the inner witness doesn't yet match. So, so important to pay attention to these things. End of commentary. Lord, would this be your will? Is it time for me to move? And I just felt very content 
And that's one of the things that the guy talked about in this book is this, this, this one particular love story, which was a great love story. The guy had made an idol out of the idea of being married. He was very interested in this girl, but in his heart, he had made marriage an idol. It was going to be bigger than God in his life, if nothing less than for a season. And this is unacceptable to God. I can actually very clearly see how that could have been the case for me. And certainly it could have been that way with Laura, that Laura I could have made into an idol. And God in his amazing omnipotence and omniscience and his unbelievable wisdom and mercy allowed me to wait such a long period of time such that I would eventually get to this place where I could say to the Lord, Father, I can live with her or without her. I do desire her, Father, but I could be single for the rest of my life. I do not need another person. I need only you, my Lord. And I literally got to that place where completely content being all by myself, completely content in in the Lord alone. And there is just, there's not a check you could ever write to have this. It, it, it makes life so much simpler, so much more refreshing when you can say no to all these distractions and things that the world has convinced you need in order to be happy, including people or relationships. So the long story short is that I've been placed in this position where I'm totally content. So as I read this book and I began to pray about it, I said, Father, you just let me know, God, I, if you want me to move now on this, I'll be happy to do that. I'll be thrilled to do that. But God, I want to hear from you. I don't want to just take the bull by the horns and go, yes, I'm going to do it and you know, God will stop me if I'm not supposed to. No, I really prayed. And shortly thereafter, either later that evening, um, I think I saw 919, which is very indicative of stay the course. The cloud is still over the tabernacle. And then I think the next morning I saw 525 while I was doing my Bible study. And then I saw a 922, which is another part of the 919. And so I thought, okay, Lord, it looks pretty clear to me. You're telling me to stay put. And I take courage in the stay put command because that doesn't mean no. He's not saying no. He's saying not not yet. So all of that to bring it full circle and say that I had had high hopes that obviously something significant would happen on 212. My my biggest heart's desire in this whole thing with Laura, obviously to, to love her is a huge desire, but in the making of the relationship, Um, in waiting on God's providence, it's all about bringing God glory. It is my greatest desire that God would see God do this, people would see God do this amazing thing in this relationship, in this 212 story, and then begin to trust and believe God like that in their own life. And um, so obviously I would hope that something would happen on a 212 because it's a one day a year, it's very significant, and incidentally, you know, me being the, you know, kind of fantasy thinker here, I began to one day conclude that when you add 2 plus 12, that's 14. That makes 14, 14, which is the scripture God says, Jesus says, ask anything in my name and it will be done for you. This goes right back to the foundation of Psalm 21 two. And he has given you the desires of your heart. He has not withheld the request of your lips. So when you look at that 212 and the 1414, it's almost the exact same 
message, the idea that you know you delight yourself in the Lord, you pray and ask Him for the desires of your heart, and He gives them to you. You know, when He sees fit and when He knows that it won't come in between you and Him. I feel content. The most important thing I want to capture is I'm not walking around going, oh God, I just I almost don't even feel any disappointment at all because I know God has something more important for me to do right now still, and that's to finish this understanding and memorizing some of the basic scriptures that are the foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. I got to know through scripture. I know the answers. I know how to explain people a lot of things in the Bible, but I don't know how always to point them to the exact scripture or don't always have that exact scripture memorized. And I, I, I need to do that. Instead of telling people, paraphrasing, here it is, instead of always having to paraphrase what the Bible says. Well, you know, the Bible says that the, the ultimate purpose for God's creation was to bring God glory and pleasure. And that's why he made us. Well, sure, that's a doctrine. That's me basically taking multiple scriptures and formulating what does it mean. It's like a purpose statement of what it means. But I want to be able to know where God's words are on that doctrine. Know them by heart, memorize, and be able to say, Oh, did you know that it says in this scripture that because of our sins and our iniquity, we are separated from God? I know that's in Isaiah, but I don't know exactly what chapter and verse. So, I need to find those out and study them and memorize them. So, that's what I'm working on. So, nevertheless, I am content. Incidentally, I'm just getting ready to shut my phone. It's 10.11. One of my favorite scriptures God keeps showing me. It's 10.11 right now. I'm going to take a screen capture of it as I finish this recording, which means, as the scriptures say, no one who trusts in Him will ever be put to shame. Amen. God, let it be. In Jesus' name.